Hi, everyone, and welcome to Business Access by TD Image. My name is Tiago D'Souza, and today we're going to take flight. I like that. With a company that's, see, he likes that too because he knows what we're going to talk about. A company that's taking aviation to a whole different level. And today we're talking to the CEO and founder, Alexander Taylor. Alexander, how are you? Hey, Tiago, I'm good. Thank you. I am truly honored and excited to talk to you. When, when, I did some research on you and I went to your website. I'm like, what is he launching? The enter- Enterprise? What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, so it's it's not – when you look at the aircraft that we're building and designing, uh, it completely redefines the word aircraft. And so it's it's not uncommon for people to look at it and say, what is that? But, yeah, pleasure to be on your podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So how – Obviously, this is your passion. I can see how much investment has gone into what you're doing by, you know, looking at your website, reading about it, reading about the technology a little bit. How did you get to this point? Yeah, so we can we can go all the way back. And uh, so I grew up overseas, and uh, really the heart of heart of Windcraft is seeing the complacency in aerospace. Uh, so I began, uh, my, my parents uh, worked overseas in, in aid operations. I spent a, a large portion of my life and in close proximity with people who had a high, just an extreme need that was going almost completely unmet. And so I can, uh, one of my first memories is, is climbing over my parents' lap and uh, seeing Istanbul from the plane for the first time as the sun was setting, you know, between the two bridges, coming into Ataturk. So aviation sort of always been a part of my blood. Uh, but sort of as the antithesis of that, like aviation has always been elusive for me. So I, unlike, you know, uh, some friends that I have that who's, who's, whose parents grew up, you know, flying commercial, flying private, I never really had access to, you know, a small single engine aircraft to, to really experience aviation for myself. And so my, my whole interaction was it was w- with it was commercial as my family traveled around uh, to, you know, eastern Turkey. Uh, to different areas in the Middle East, uh, to refugee camps. Um, and uh, and yeah, so this, it, it really goes all the way back to what we call like, our, you know, it's our altruistic vision for Windcraft. Uh, and it's, it's meeting a, a massive need um, where it, there's a huge demand for, for aerial logistics in, uh, in, in, those, in those places where people are genuinely going hungry. It's right. not, we're not a sort of, we call it augmented consumerism. Right. So you look at a lot of, a lot of startups um, and this is obviously not bashing any you know U.S. startups, but you look at a lot of startups, startups, and, and they're they're augmented consumerism. And so, how you know, how do I make this more convenient? How do I make this easier? So we're looking at electric aerospace, and as a you know self-taught aerospace engineer, I, you know I, I took we can go we can go back to high school as well. <laughs> I, I I took the last two hours of high school and uh, told my teacher, hired myself as an intern at my own company. Um, told my teacher, you know, it got the last two hours off and went and audited courses uh, at a university uh, because they wouldn't let me go and take classes elsewhere. Um, but uh, going going all the way back to, to, to you know, what we're doing now is it's not augmented consumerism. Uh, we're not just helping people skip traffic. Uh, it's about that individual impact and in, uh, in it, it's giving people food and, and medical aid and, and truly life, a better quality of life. Uh, where there otherwise wouldn't be any sort of logistics. 
That's just amazing. That's truly, truly, because I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, you know, our company has the opportunity to uh, go to CES, uh, uh, which is the Consumer Electronic uh, Convention, and it talks about a lot of new technology. And we go to a lot of other conventions where they uh, express new technology. And a lot of it is always seeming to be the upgrade on the last thing that happened. You know, right. it's never like a true, it hasn't been for me the last five years a true innovation that's really going to change the outcome of something. Yeah. And you know, what's really interesting is that every time they have a new iteration of what's already existed, they call it a quantum leap. So right. they'll, they'll find all of the most impressive words to describe what is really a, a nuanced change in something that's existed for the last 10 or 15 years. And so this is where we have this contrarian thinking. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with, with Peter Thiel or the, or the Thiel fellowship. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's, that's something that he's a huge proponent of is say like, what's your contrarian truth? And this was uh, one to zero, zero to one um, was had a, had a big impact on on the way that I saw, you know, you have your altruistic values, but then also going from nothing to something as an aerospace startup, but not just an aerospace startup, but an aerospace startup run by a 16 year old in high school, um, <laughs> at least at the very beginning. Um, Knowing like like this is just it is such a it's such a grind sometimes it's such a struggle um to do that zero to one especially when you walk into a VC not only were they expecting you to be twenty something but you show up and they're like why are you here uh, and you say I'm Alex this is you you've been communicating with for X amount of time and you're, like, you're the one who runs an aerospace startup I'm like yeah it's you know it's an aerospace so we we've been doing a lot of R and D so you, like you designed and built an airplane. As, yeah, I designed and built an airplane. But really, when you get down to it, like my age and that really didn't come into a factor. And that was pretty disappointing because um, because the, you could see sort of the real gaps that exist, especially in venture capital. Right. Um, that, that you would show up with something that could potentially literally save lives. Uh, that could literally change the quality of life for people in developed countries. And they would be like, yeah, but it doesn't really fit into this. You know, you know, when you say like, what's the need, like what's, 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 what's the need that you're addressing? Like, it's the same need that Amazon was addressing. Like, for example, it's the same, it's um, like Amazon, it, it, we didn't need one day delivery before Amazon started giving us right. one day delivery. If Amazon disappeared, there'd be this massive hole in all of our lives. Like, oh my goodness, we're just going to fill, the, fill these massive shoes of Amazon. Um, and so this, the idea of this contrarian truth. Uh, has had a huge impact on on how we build. It sort of gave me a little bit of solace knowing that this lack of understanding from a traditional business or technology perspective was actually affirming me um, in 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 pursuing sort of the ideologies that have been more monumentally successful. But I don't know if that makes a ton of sense. But it, it truly does because I, I truly uh, one of the biggest thing that we talk about in in, in my company and we talk about. Uh, we have talked about in the podcast is how to transfer your mind from seeing uh, a number to a person mm -hmm. because the value comes, it doesn't matter how many times you say, okay, well, the numbers are here. This is the number we have 56 numbers. It always goes back to that's a person and that person creates a value into that number. So that number is always secondary. And the thing that you're saying, it's really like amazing to me because and, and first of all, like you, you sound like the the uh, like this Elon Musk who's not going to take a no for an answer and who's pushing oh forward no no matter what, because like 
you going into an office where a CEO, a venture capitalist is thinking about numbers and you're saying, and being a 16 year old, whatever age you were and just pushing forward, I just bow to you for that in itself, you know, and I love how when you talk, you talk about there, I'm going to make things happen and there's no, there's no if and buts about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's, I think there's more people who are capable of doing that. I, I appreciate right. that. That's, I, I, uh, the encouragement is, is great. And, and that's another thing is that, you know, often people aren't transparent enough with their encouragement, especially for their peers. And so I always make it a point, um, you know, to, to, to sort of let that person know how, how, what I think about how they operate, but, um, no, so, so I think more people could do that, but there's this level of complacency in startup culture, um, and startup culture is, I mean, it's, <laughs> You realize at some point, and I'm much closer to this 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 season in my life and demographic uh, than, than most are. Um, but the superficial nature that digitizing everything has sort of inflicted on personal relationships, it goes way beyond, you know, just sort of a, a lack of community that a lot of people are starting to see. But it goes even deeper and it actually proliferates more dysfunction in broader communities. And w- what I mean by that is that when I sit down with, with somebody from a VC and I said, okay, let's think about the people. I, I love these numbers. These numbers are great. Um, but for us, capital is just a tool as a means to an end to build the aircraft and then the real utility of the aircraft, using it where you know, it has an, an enormous impact. Uh, that's, that's the end objective. And that impact, eventually, you, you, you go down all the way down and at the very core of every business, like you said, it's people. But a lot of VCs don't want to, because they've been sort of accustomed to not talking about the people aspect of things. In fact, they've been accustomed to running businesses that are often contrary to the best interests of the general public or the people. Uh, we're encouraged as founders to do the same thing. And, right. and in fact, like you, you're not successful. Like they're going to tell you, hey, you're not going to be successful if you don't follow, you know, basically this script with a VC. You're not going to be successful if you're not, you know, organized in this way uh, to raise capital. So it's a, it's something that more people could do. But like you said, it takes it takes a lot of courage and a lot of grit uh, uh, to do it. So we've been we've been working on Wincraft for three years now. I think in the last six months we've moved faster uh, than we have in the last three years total. So going all the way back to, you know, I, I started Wincraft. You know, first purchase was a a monitor that I put on a red desk in my room. And that was sort of the feasibility study. Right. So I had been working in aviation maintenance. Um, when I say working, I was working on on, on actual aircraft. I, was, uh, I started building commercial UAVs when I was 12. A little bit by accident, I fell into um, founding Wincraft Aviation because turns out when you're building UAVs and doing commercial work out of your parents' basement, uh, and you make X amount of dollars if you don't start a company, it's tax evasion. And so I was sort of an accidental founder at 14. One of the best things the state of Michigan ever did was make the uh, uh, the age limit for filing an LLC 12, which sounds crazy, but Michigan's one of the, I think I think they're one of the few states that has that. And so I was 14, I filed an LLC for, for Wincraft. I was building commercial UAVs out of my parents' basement I'd show up to, uh, to you know, the big three would have like automotive shoots. I was one of the only aerial cinematographers at the time. 
This was back in back when we called drones multi rotors. In fact, I still call drones multi rotors. Um, but nobody quite understands. You know, was, so in, in fact, my first my first drone had wooden spars. So we have carbon fiber tubes that we use now. But but I had wood, so I actually went to like a home like Home Depot and got dowels and used that to build my first multi rotor. But anyways, for a long story short, I show up to these shoots. And, and they're like, you're the aerial cinematographer. And so was, there's, there's always been that sort of level of friction. But my objective at that age was how much can I do and how young can I do it? Um, because awesome. I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't feel like there was this – in fact, I, I still get a lot of joy out of being contrary to the status quo. And this is going back in. And, and, and by the way, I'm – you know, one of my favorite books is um, by a friend of mine, uh, Mike Patey is addicts and millionaires. Um, but I go in a bunch of different directions. So, and this is part of the, the harnessing, like I, I have ADD. Um, but thankfully growing up, my mom didn't medicate me on small doses of amphetamines, like most people do uh, with, with Adderall. Uh, that's what, that's what Adderall is. Right. And so I go in all sorts of directions in my conversations. It might not follow a chronological line, uh, but generally speaking, don't ever hesitate to reel me back into the conversation. So it's in a, a format that other people can understand. But yeah, so I'd, I'd show up, we'd, uh, we'd start, you know, we'd shoot, we did a good job. Windcraft grew, we were a successful commercial drone enterprise. Uh, but then it went all the way back to like, this is, I had to get into multi-rotors because aviation was going completely inaccessible to me. Right. I mean, when's, so have you, have you ever flown? This is a question that like, when's the last time that you used a personal aircraft like did you have when's the last time you flew in a in a general aviation aircraft so i come from a media background my it's production media so i have filmed off a helicopter and i have yeah. done all that stuff so and i i truly miss it but going back to something that you had that you said which is you're talking about uh being so young and being so uh like forward thinking at a young age, I, I've had the opportunity to talk to people like you on here that has uh, that are young and they started their own business and is being some successful. There is a trend happening right now, which I think is amazing, that it's breaking the traditional leash in business, which is mm -hmm. young entrepreneurs are showing that businesses can function differently. A lot mm -hmm. of like you said, like you said, venture capitalists, a lot of uh, older uh, businesses, not older people, but older businesses that have created a cycle that has happened for years don't mm -hmm. move out of that cycle. But right, right. now there's a lot of young, ge younger generation coming into businesses that they're creating different opportunities and different ways to function outside of the tra traditional format, which I think is incredible. <laughs> uh, for example, as we're seeing right now, um, due to the pandemic, businesses had to learn a new format. And it, it was either that or closed down. You you yeah. had to you had to figure out how to function within the environment that you're in right now, and a lot of businesses have done that, and they see that oh okay I guess the traditional format isn't the only solution, and so and I'm seeing and I get inspired because I love that that says that the younger generation are going to take things to a, to a whole new level, and I love mm -hmm. that so. Yeah, the we call that the complacency cycle. Uh, so you have a, a complacency cycle, and that's the same reason why we exist uh, as Wincraft. 
is that the large aerospace manufacturers, including Boeing, including Airbus, and even the general aviation manufacturers like Textron Aviation, they're not they, they're not doing anything with the resources that they have to progress the human condition. So inherently, like you're saying, uh, something that is going to, so, so something that is going to have this this you're basically saying that the the pandemic, or I would, I'd rephrase it as saying that the pandemic um, accelerated the disruption of the complacency cycle. Right. So the complacency cycle is disrupted every decade or so. So we see that with, you know, e-commerce, uh, the complacency cycle was disrupted in retail. Uh, you see that it's happening in aviation right now. It's exactly what Wincraft is, is we're breaking the complacency cycle. Right. We call those movers that finally break the mold. We call them disruptors. But really, like eventually those disruptors become become the complacency cycle. And then someone has to disrupt the disruptors. And so what you're seeing is an acceleration of the complacency cycle in the same way that we see Moore's law functioning in computing. Right. So we've faster and faster iterations. And um, yeah, it's this, this whole idea that humanity as a whole is always falling, always getting up, falling flat on its face and then figuring out how to move forward. And that's that's the cycle. It's, it's, it's actually quite. It's quite interesting imagery because it's happening thousands of times per day. It's, it's uh, if you think about the scale of entrepreneurship as a whole, uh, you realize that like we we are sort of this, this one one massive ecosystem of people that generally follow a certain trend, and and the next generation is is rising to break sort of it. break the mold, and that's what the you know that's what the Teal Fellowship is is all about. Um, and uh, you can see this is this is actually fairly interesting. Um, so if you look at the economics of the Teal Fellowship, uh, Peter Teal is is incredibly smart. Uh, he takes you know for a billionaire to spend two point two million dollars. I think we did the math one day, and for him to spend a hundred thousand dollars on a twenty under twenty or a twenty something founder that has been vetted. So going through, I think they have something like ten to twenty thousand applicants every year. They narrow it down to 20 people. He spends $100,000 on them. For him, it's spending like it's like spending $10. Right. So if you were to proportionally, so if your family, you, we go to Meyer and we spend 40 or $50. And Meyer's the grocery store around here. We spend 40 or $50. Well, you know, if, if Elon, if uh, proportionally, what Peter Thiel's doing is going to the grocery store and spending $200 on 20 extremely talented. Uh, a, a young, uh, basically giving them an opportunity. It's super cheap for him. It's extremely cheap. And then, and then his return on investment as the first investor in a lot of those companies is is he he averages, I think, close to a, a billion dollars or 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 so or, or, or around there for an, uh, the class. So when he invests in a company in the class, there's several former Teal fellows that have gone on, you know, to to have you know four or five X unicorns and, um, and the return that he makes for, for that investment, that giving that next generation a chance is right. something that other VCs can learn from. Uh, y Combinator is another great example. I just don't understand why when someone's doing something right, the rest of culture can't, can't feel unashamed to imitate it. Um, it, was, it was extremely difficult uh, finding any sort of validation, credibility or support uh, to start Wincraft. We, and, uh, we truly are tre- uh, creatures of habit. That That's something that's very 
and a lot of us have a difficult in breaking it and yeah and it's it's hard because we do i see that and we we get into trends and mm-hmm. that trends is always hard to come out of don't matter right. what it is you know it was hard for people to come out of you know email from sending mail to emailing people but now look at it you know, e- email is really a form of communication. That's truly now almost going into a new trend, which is is a more of a social communication platform uh, into mm-hmm. business. So it's and we can see that with ClickUp uh, and other services like that. So it's um, it's truly interesting. I want to go back into uh, talking about your. Uh, I think you're trying to invade talking about your secret there, uh, Windcraft Aviation, <laughs> right? <laughs> so there, there we are working on some extremely sensitive stuff, but I'd love to go into detail because I'm not, like I said, I'm not the most concise. Uh, but there's, there, we've got some incredible stuff that are happening, you know, here and 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 uh, yeah, let's let's get into it. What do you what are you interested in? I'll try not to put you on the spot, uh, and so and feel free, like if you can't answer a question, it's okay. We just want to get a feeling of what's coming. So tell me about what drove you from having the concept and starting your business, Windcraft Aviation, I'm sorry. Yeah, so it it goes back to that complacency cycle. So I realized that, you know, we don't have, we have an, we had an airport here. uh, We operate out of a 5,000 square foot facility here at the, the Lowell City Airport. And, um, we uh you we've got hangars full chock full of aircraft that are generally between manufactured between the 1940s and uh the 1980s and if and if we replaced all of those airplanes with cars this would be a car museum but instead almost every municipal airport in the country is full of this archaic technology and so as someone who's sort of a, a passionate problem solver uh for lack of a better word I was I wanted to understand the systemic reasons why we saw such complacency in general aviation specifically. And so, you know, it's I I didn't grow up. My family moved back from Istanbul. We were financially struggling. That's the whole reason I started Wincraft Quads was because I couldn't fly. So I sort of vicariously started building UAVs that turned into, you know, I just sort of accidentally became the youngest commercial drone pilot in the country. Uh, I sort of accidentally became one of the only aerial cinematographers in um, using UAV platforms, you know, in the early 2010s. Um, and so, the, so understanding the, the 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 complacency behind Windcraft or or behind uh, general aviation is critical to knowing why we don't have personal aerial transportation today. Essentially, what what ended up happening is is you're familiar with. Uh, you know, the, we're all familiar with trains in the 19th century. We're familiar with automobiles in uh, the 20th century. The dichotomy between those two or the transition between those two is the same transition we're going to see in between commercial aviation and private aviation. So you have a situation where you have to have a train station, you have all this infrastructure. You know, the train's going on tracks between, you know, one station to the next station. It's limited by the fact that a, a a train is always oh, way too expensive for an individual to own. You get in the car, you're sitting next to a bunch of other people. In almost every way, the commercial airliner of the 1900s and the early 2000s is exactly the same as the way we used to use trains. Right. 
now we come into a situation where you know there, there was we the, the car was invented and and so but you know before ford there had there's there's the, he didn't invent the car his actually his his invention was the assembly line mm-hmm. and so his invention of the assembly line enabled the car to become a commercially viable solution so we see the same thing and so almost all of the different platforms that we see for electric vertical takeoff and landing today are like early versions of the car but they don't have any economic viability because an individual can't you know used to not be able to own it work on it you know there was no there was without the assembly line there wasn't they couldn't mass produce the vehicle so we all know this story right. but we can't what what people miss is that you know and we'll, we'll, you know it gives us the warm fuzzies you know ford was a great guy this is great you know he progressed technology but they fail to see the same trends happening the same complacency happening in today's technology this is where again peter Thiel does a great job of recognizing how we're deficient we call it the unknown unknown. So I recognize this unknown unknown, which was that we needed better core technology for electric aerospace so that we could turn, we could actually create economically and, and commercially viable examples of what everybody has been seeing in the news. Um, and so what you end up with is, you know, electric aerospace uh, right now, as, as we speak, basically amounts to a publicity stunt for the airlines. Most of the platforms that you see on uh, the internet, so every, a lot of things that get publicity, uh, they're scaled up drones and scaling drone technology simply is not going to work. So we looked at what's the biggest, as an aerospace engineer, what is, what is the biggest problems we need to solve? Widely recognized, it's the energy technology. So we need better energy tech. In fact, we need better, better energy tech across all electrification. And so we began to attack this energy technology aggressively uh, with partnerships I worked under a, a, a storied PhD in chemical engineering, and we basically said, okay, so, so let's stop talking about batteries, because everybody's talking about batteries. Let's talk about energy in general. Energy in general means that we have, uh, you, you know, let, let's talk about molecular versus chemical energy. Let's talk about, um, you know, so, so essentially what other people are pursuing is this greater energy density of lithium ion batteries, whereas we've invented essentially alternative energy fuel cells, that instead of the energy density being defined by, this is where it gets a bit nerdy, defined by the surface area or the relationship between two chemicals. So you have to wrap that surface area over and over again. That's what in in a battery cell, um, if you look, if you cut a double A in half, you'll see this coiled up uh, anode and cathode. Instead of using anodes and cathodes, two different chemicals, uh, let's, let's use the diameter and this is actually the same this the same molecular energy density that we get from cars that we get from vehicles right uh, so we it's a hydrocarbon so instead of let's actually let's change the molecular structure of a substance to harness the energy before we even go to atomic so we have chemical which is horrible energy density molecular which is uh you know we're familiar with it in the form of burning hydrocarbons but if you look at actual chemistry it makes no sense that we're burning hydrocarbons. Like we're literally still burning. Like we're only cavemen are still burning hydrocarbons. Like it just does not make any sense molecularly because a, a hydrogen atom has so much more energy to give through electrolysis, and it's so much more efficient. So you got 15% efficiency with burning gas, and we basically said if we can do an alternative energy fuel cell that can give us, you know, the same energy density that or or chem, uh, uh, molecular potential energy that gasoline has, 
except get 95% efficiency through a fuel cell. So it's just mind boggling for almost all of energy. <laughs> so you're not just trying to uh, change aviation. You're trying to do like what Ford did is change the assembly line. Exactly. Exactly. So this is so the core technology, our actual invention is, you know, our quote unquote assembly line is this core technology. And so part of it is so we call whenever we, we you know, get on Zoom uh, with with an, a new VC, we start things off by saying, you know, Windcraft Aviation is an energy and airframe aviation technology company because that's the core of our intellectual property. That's, that's the core of our our real di- you know disruptive force is in the airframe, right. which is what I'm primarily responsible for, and the energy, which is a partnership. And so we have we have essentially something that that you know if you if we want to sum it all up into something that is going to uh, in one sentence that'll give you great imagery about where this industry is going or where we're going as a company, instead of going uh, 17 nautical miles at 45 miles per hour. So if you think about, you know, we drive, I don't know, we is 45. Uh, the average you shouldn't ask some people that or, question because, you know, some people drive a little bit crazy. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Some people walk a block. Some people, if they live in the rural area like we do, they drive, you know, 20 or 30 miles, right. but that has almost zero commercial utility. So, so 17 nautical miles at 45 miles per hour is w- way underperforming anything that should have commercial utility. Instead of that, we can go 185 miles per hour for 300 nautical miles on a fuel cell uh, that uses its carbon neutral alternative energy that should have been actualized way before this. Uh, so hydrogen fuel cells, like the one Toyota are using, right. are, are variations of actually uh, of, of NASA technology they use for the Apollo space program. Yeah, your oxidizer and your propellant, you know, pure oxygen, pure hydrogen. And, but those are very hard to come by in this wonderfully complex terrestrial world that we live in. And so we, instead of using pure oxygen and pure hydrogen, we basically were figuring out how to use more complex molecules um, that are still hydrogen rich, still have the hydrogen energy density um, but it's, uh, so anyway, so you can take off vertical takeoff and landing. So you can take off from your backyard anywhere that has sort of a 200 foot radius okay. and have real commercial utility. And when we say you, essentially we designed this, you know, I had, I have a heart, you know, it's essentially a heart for, for those who, you know, it is very cliche to say a heart for those who are in need, but I think genuinely having a heart for people in business is more rare than it should be. Um, I agree with you. I I think that terminology is something that, like I said, the traditional format of business puts no value into. And and, and there's a a bigger value there than they can see. And and like I said, I think that that's what you're showing here. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So that's and that's 100 percent. So you've got people who say that they design for people, they manufacture for people, their business is all about people. But are they actually what are are they actually designing? They, they really they really aren't. So we actually designed Windcraft. You can see as soon as you see our performance specs, as soon as you see how well we operate in not the you know urban. We, we, we essentially what we what we did. This is hard to navigate to because um, we are universally applicable in both environments. So we don't want to discredit one environment over the other. Right. But we designed SJX, our aircraft, to go from a mountaintop forward operating base 
somewhere where the U.S. is collecting aid. They're, 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 they, you know, a C-130 can land in the international airport, offload aid, and then land directly in a village in the middle of Papua New Guinea, in the middle of the jungle, without having to clear a runway. That's why we built, as soon as you see our performance specs, you're like, oh, these guys, these guys built this to connect you know, commercial regional aviation to places that can't build runways. If we can build runways in the first world, there's no need for electric vertical takeoff. And then you just hop from, you know, uh, a small airport to small airport, like they thought we were going to do in the seventies using small airplanes, but it was, became very apparent that that wasn't going to happen. And so for us, um, you, you know, we've essentially said, okay, if we can deliver aid in a sandstorm in the middle of the middle East, and, you know, full autonomy, full LIDAR, full uh, uh, um, ultrasonic sensing, full uh, object uh, sense and avoid. If we can do that, if we can you know, fly through sandstorms, Boston to Manhattan is not going to be a problem at all. That's like this is so they're addressing the wrong market. So if you look at all these people like, yes, we are building this electric aircraft for the people, but for the people of Boston and Manhattan, from, from Boston to New York. We're building it for the, the wealthy who want to be able to skip two hours of traffic. Like skipping two hours of traffic is great. I, you know, kudos to you if that's your motivation. If you're being successful, that's, that's great. But I see a bigger need in the world, and we're addressing it with Windcraft. So this is really what other people saw as a disadvantage that we loved other people, that we, we genuinely, we saw firsthand, you know, people who were malnourished, people who, who haven't been able to access the aid that the U.S. spends billions of dollars every year distributing but going to waste we saw that firsthand they saw that as sort of like a distraction you know these guys these guys they're distracting you know they're they're sort of attacking a a less lucrative market segment but the reality is because we held ourselves to a higher standard so we could serve the people we ended up having greater performance than the people who are going for the more lucrative market segment and we're going to beat them to it so it's this so selfless we call it selfless innovation and right. it pays for itself. I don't think people realize that sacrificing on the behalf of, you know, if it's better performance for the right reasons, it pays for itself. There's a reason why. And so, and that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's amazing. That's truly like, it, this is, it, it's innovation in a whole different level. Like I said, you, you have like today, there's a lot of individualized innovations, mm -hmm. but how does things come together when it comes to the real world? Exactly. Uh, a lot of them don't come together and that's why they take such a long time. But you're taking the it sounds like you're taking the reverse road where you're thinking about the environment first and how your <laughs> product fits into the environment. You know, for example, you said, you know, in a sandstorm, if it can it can function in a sandstorm, it's definitely going to be able to take you from New York to Washington, D.C. or wherever you want to, if not with with ease so that, right. that's that's just incredible let me ask you this so because I, I dude i'm in love with you I, i'm in love with how you're pitching your product I, i'm in love with your ideas your concept your how you think uh, let me ask you this when you went and pitched this idea this concept and and and, and you knew like to me like you you have i already see you have a road and you have a goal and you have an endpoint. how what was the reaction? Yeah, it, 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 it varies. It varies. I, I appreciate that because it, it varies. Sometimes the reaction is very similar. It's like, I can, I can see that you have this road. I can see that you have this product and I can see the end point. Um, but unfortunately there's, um, 
there's there's blinders that come on when because of your monetary success like a lot of invest i mean if an investor has capital to wield then generally what they're thinking about is additional capital on top of that and so we're we're a fantastic this is the hardest thing to to communicate to investors is that we're a great financial bet if you're looking for a financial bet we're a great financial bet because of our altruistic vision right if you take that away this is why we have to be so guarded we vet so we're actually to a point at wincraft where uh you know pretty regularly folks come to us and we have to go in and vet them as much as almost more than they vet us to say look if i if i give authority to somebody outside of the company who who may, might not align with our vision and mission for Wincraft, that could not. That's not just affecting. That's not affecting me. I don't care. I don't care if it's if 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 this was a, a energy company or is it like an, an an energy drink company and it was my you know my eighty percent stake in the company and somebody came and they wanted to take that and and it was had a monetary value for me that would be different. This doesn't have a monetary value for me. This has an altruistic value for me. If they come in and screw this up or screw us up, then it's not me who's who's suffering the most. It's the people that we didn't end up serving in these underdeveloped countries. So it's this like the the greater the vision is at stake whenever we have this. But but and and, and like you said, in fact, the last for the first two years, uh, it was extremely difficult. So traction, getting traction is this you know, it's this, it's progressive process. And sometimes we say you have a lot of velocity, but you don't have a lot of momentum. Um, and so quite often we go through these seasons where we had a ton of velocity. So we were doing all sorts of stuff. I was speaking at some conferences, um, in DC, I was, you know, X number of years old. I was like ooing and aahing. Um, but we didn't have very much momentum. There wasn't, uh, to actualize the actual technology, there wasn't, you know, the other, it's great to have attention, but attention doesn't always convert into supporting your mission. And it can be very frustrating. Uh, you can sit down with a VC. Uh, to answer your question very succinctly, uh, it raised a lot of eyebrows. Um, <laughs> they, they ended usually with more questions than they began. And that's not what other, so when a, a startup pitches in a traditional setting, uh, they want, you know, they, they want the investor to feel uh, like there's some sort of conclusion to their questions. They had some questions going into it and they were answered. Right. When right. we pitch, it's such a monumental shift in the mindset of everybody who drives cars, everybody who uses transportation. So this is because we're universally applicable, explaining the impact of Wincraft and our vision for Wincraft is an extremely labor intensive process to answer all of their questions becomes even more labor intensive. Um, and at the end of the day, like like I said, that uncertainty, investors do not like uncertainty. And when a startup comes in and they think completely differently than anything they've ever you know, met with before or considered as an investment before, it just introduces uncertainty, whether we like it or not. So we've had to overcome way more of these tough conversations with investors than I think anybody, anybody else because um, – <laughs> they, it's it's a they, it's a different I, level of explanation. It's true. It truly is. Yeah, it's it's something we, like I've heard here from you. There's a lot behind it. It's it's literally not saying oh the clock is telling the right time. Right. You're literally explaining every piece of the clock, which right. it could be a watch. But if you look inside a watch, there's so much that goes on. 
There's, yeah. there's, and every piece has its purpose and explanation. And so it becomes this complex, like informational whirlpool that's going to bring a lot of questions. So I can definitely see uh, what, what, what you're saying that that's, that's so, just awesome. Just, just like you said, so, and I could always do a better job as a technologist. So I, at my very heart, you know, I'm an engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so as an engineer, sometimes you're not always to the point, the way that financial folks want you to be. Um, that that really is a nuanced thing. We, we, it's it, it what it comes down to is is like that's a nuance. Sometimes that gets in the way to a point where, if I'm not succinct enough, um, that'll stop a conversation, or that has stopped a conversation in the past. I decided to forget that. Uh, I think at, at, I I use that sort of as an excuse, like oh you know I'm an engineer. You know if they don't understand it, um, it's because I need to work on simplifying it. Well, when you reduce complexity, you reduce resolution. So they can no longer see these wonderful, beautiful facets of how our technology has synergy with the airframe, has synergy with the energy, and the energy has synergy with the aircraft. So that you create one whole solution that can serve and, and totally you know, change the landscape. But when it comes down to it, what you said about people being comfortable in their comfort zone, like we're, we're all creatures of habit. And so the same thing is true, whether they know it or not, with investors. So what happens when we sit down at a table with an investor is is you know, visually it's like taking the investor by the hair and like dragging them out of their comfort zone like to use a metaphor that is like we violently take people out of their comfort zone when we talk to an investor because this is like i said they've it might often have something to do with my personality it might often have to do with my history quite often it really centers around windcraft and our ambitious you know, extremely ambitious outlook on windcraft that that just as much as some investors way in the past a, a year or two down the road probably would have loved to jump in there was this you know if they were using their if they were thinking with their heart they would be like oh this is this is it but they thought with their brain and their brain was saying this is foreign territory uh eject eject <laughs> well eject. i think like and i don't blame them and i don't i this right. is, i don't blame them but they're definitely looking back and saying you know we We've even this. So we should we should look more into this. But I see what you're saying, because the the thing is here when I I can definitely see when you go in and you have to pitch, you have to first break people out of the normal. Mm hmm. And and what are they what they are used to thinking about, like you said, driving a car. Uh, to mm-hmm. go from here to there. So you have to break people from these traditional way to understand this new development, this new whole way of thinking into this product. And then you have to create the value at that point. So it's kudos it's, to you. Yeah, definitely. and it's even it's actually even more complex than that. So there's some people that are familiar with the electric aerospace industry. And then not only do you have to explain the, the sort of difference between like how, you know, we're not, we're never going to replace cars entirely. This is, but what we believe is that cars commercialize in a, in a, like the same metaphor with trains and cars. It just, it is exactly what's going to happen in the aviation industry, but really whether we like it or not. So cars commercialize in a way where it was individual. Aviation has so far commercialized in a way where it's just commercial. So whereas before we have the same, so what's the, what's your, what's your need? What need are you addressing? We're like the same one that cars did. And some of them are just like, it, it blows right by them. Um, and that's, it's, it's a, it's, it's no, it's no diss to them. Um, but as we look back, I had a, a, a family friend jump in. Uh, we were just starting Windcraft. Uh, we had a, a gentleman 
you know, that we had met out if you've, if you've never been to Oshkosh, uh, if you love airplanes, if any of your listeners love airplanes, go to Oshkosh for a EAA air venture. It is like Disneyland uh, <laughs> for people who love aviation. Um, we were there and we had some conversations, people made commitments. So we acted on those commitments and we were stuck in a spot where we said, Hey, we need, you know, X amount of dollars to bridge between now and then. And, and a friend of mine, family friend of ours stepped in uh, and got equity for his investment. And he stepped in cause he was thinking, thinking with his heart um, and his, his investment has done um, extremely, extremely well. And there was, and so this is like this, there's just sort of those, there's differences. And I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn. I don't want to go in sort of the weeds of, of talking about, you know, like investment in equity and people who have or haven't. Um, but what it comes down to is I think an open mindset to take risks because right. inherently every investor is going to be risk adverse, especially in the Midwest, I think on the West coast. Um, so I'm originally from, I was born in California. We, we moved to Istanbul. We came back to Michigan and in the Michigan culture is fantastic. I mean, there's, you can't find more integrity, better work ethic anywhere else, but it naturally makes the investors here very risk adverse. Right. So we're, so in, in, on the West coast, they lived with Silicon Valley. They saw their neighbors make early investments in technology companies and then, you know, become wealthy because of it. Whereas here it's a foreign concept. So it's actually foreign concept on foreign concept on foreign concept. There was an investor we were talking to a few days ago. And this is, we're in a completely different spot now. Um, we, won't, we won't sit on this topic for too long. Um, but I, you know, he was even talking about a preconceived idea about electric vertical takeoff and landing, saying, so you need to drive your car to the station, get in the electric aircraft, take off, go to another station, then get in your electric car and go somewhere else. And we're like, no, that's, if you have a 20, if you have 20 meters or, or, or uh, 20 feet in your backyard, eliminate the car. You can have the car and you might take your kids to school with the car that's a block away. But if you're going to, and just think about it, we live in Grand Rapids. Um, Chicago is about a, aviation makes the world a smaller place. Chicago is about an hour flight away from me if I'm flying like a Cessna 172. Well, now you've basically, there's people who are more than comfortable with an hour commute driving five nautical miles in LA. You've actually now made it so that uh, every rural space can now be connected to a metropolitan hub for business, for work. The safety of our aircraft is just enormous, even compared to a, a car. I, I was super convicted a couple of years ago when, you know, a, a kid in my class, you know, got in a car accident and died. And I was like, and I'm sitting here on this technology that, you know, what is there to run into in the sky if your entire system is automated to a point where autonomy is so beautiful. It's, it's an, I'm sorry, this is another rabbit trail, but autonomy <laughs> is autonomy is so easy to implement in the sky. So what it comes down to is that I can live in Grand Rapids, work in Chicago, have my electric vehicle here. We're not replacing the delivery truck that's going to give you a refrigerator, delivery refrigerator your wife just bought for your new kitchen. Right. Uh, we're not, that's, that's not how electric aerospace is going. We are going to replace everybody who's in a sedan with their briefcase in their backpack. Um, and it's, it's going to be beautiful because now we get to take these city streets, like, you know, downtown Chicago, downtown LA that is overrun by cars because they take up so much space. Uh, it's, it's horrible efficiency when you have that much population density. Now we can put it so that you have a, large parking garage style structure 
surrounding the city. You return the city streets to the pedestrians and the cyclists and the people on electric scooters. And you, you have like completely transformed urban environments. It is not what Uber says it's going to be, which is taking off from the roof of a skyscraper in downtown New York. No, it is going to be people filling the streets in New York because the cars have all left. Uh, there's no need anymore. That's just, it's, it's, it's a synergy and it's an ecosystem that we're looking forward to. And uh, we hope that other people are looking forward to it as well. Uh, I, I'm definitely looking, <laughs> looking forward to it. Because, I mean, the more you speak uh, and the more you talk about it, the more I, I see such value come out of it, you know. And, and, and it's just like, for me, I'm not an investor, but for me, hearing you and as you explain and we hit different notes on there, I can see more and more value. For example, you just talked about taking you know residency uh, to to the air, which that can allow. I mean, you have roads. Roads can the biggest roads, you, highways you have is most likely going to be six lanes, right? Mm -hmm. You're opening that up to a whole different level, not only in, in, in horizontally but vertically. So mm -hmm. it, it becomes something that's almost in a way, it definitely is going to be controlled, but almost unlimited and and in in able to uh, function. Yeah, here's here's the value proposition for cities, municipalities, states, actually the entire U.S. We spend something like three hundred and fifty billion dollars maintaining our roads every year. If we can cut, so we're not talking about getting rid of the roads. But if we can, if we have less road traffic, and if the highways are generally reserved for you know transportation of goods and services via semis, uh, and, and in fact, our beautiful thing about our technology is it's scalable. Mm -hmm. So now we're talking about six, eight seat variants. We're working on. We're, we're we're building a. In fact, we just got. I was almost late to this this meeting because we just got um, some federal contracts to build for the Air Force. Um, because what they want to see is the ability, like I said, to come off of a C-130, strictly humanitarian, strictly supplies and logistics. Um, but but um, essentially what, uh, you know, we say that like airspace is free. So you don't have to maintain the air. It's this universal equilibrium that we breathe. And not only that, as long, you don't have to maintain the air, but if you build the technology right, you don't make the air any dirtier flying through it. And so this, this, that is our version of maintaining the air. So it's kind of like an oxymoron, really, because, you know, we don't have to maintain the air, but really we're making it a lot cleaner by flying yeah. the aircraft. Um, and so what it, what it came down to for uh, to us is that you have $350 billion being spent by the U.S. government on roads every year. If we cut that traffic down by 15, 20 percent, the roads, especially in Michigan, see less wear. And you could probably save, you know, a billion dollars per state on road infrastructure if you had better aerial infrastructure, except what's hard to sort of convey to the stakeholders on a state and national level is how big the difference is really going to be when you implement this tech. And so it, it garners, it definitely starts the process of thinking. And we've just now, I'm glad that, you know, reached out and you wanted to do uh, this podcast because we've just started sort of our public face of Windcraft. We've been operating under the radar for you know a, a, a significant amount of time, and we got everything in order to where we're like, you know, when's the last time the public was excited about aviation? Yeah. That's a real question. When was the last time 
somebody got the public excited about aviation. And it's been since, you know, the barnstorming days of, of, uh, of, 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 of you know, Wilbur Oval Wright. Like it's, it's, we have like the, the twenties and thirties with, you know, air races and it's beautiful and it's going to come back. Um, but it's, it's not coming back for nostalgic purposes. It's coming back to literally catapult the next generation of humans into a new era of efficiency and sustainability. It's, it's going to be exciting. Definitely. You remind me of, uh, you ever heard of a gentleman called Jock Fresco? I have not. Okay, so uh, if you look him up, you'll see that he totally was changing cities. He had this futuristic plan for cities, and it's it's just truly amazing what he wanted to build and how he showed the functionality of it. And 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 a lot of things that are happening today are are actually going towards uh, that format. They're they're, they're mm-hmm. reaching that way, and, and um, what you are doing it's really something unique and it's something incredible and I, I, I'm truly in love with it because it, it the, the, I'll take that in the best way possible yeah please do because I, I got that right yeah you didn't just you created profitability within an area that people don't think there's profit and you created um, a, a way to show that the optimal results can come from here also. So you're, you're, you're breaking the traditional format of business. Not only you're creating something, you're breaking the traditional format of business and you're showing them, like I said, you're going into that meeting and saying what you think and what you've thought of is not what you're going to think about tomorrow because I'm about to change your mind. And, and then you've, you've totally opened up my mind. You've totally like from your website, from what I've read, from what, how you spoke about things. I think this is incredible. I think this is something that, you know, right now I, I hope that people hear about and, and start looking into it because I, I want you guys to get whatever you need to make sure you keep moving <laughs> forward. Cause this is, it's truly, it's, it's like a bomb going in my head. It's truly exciting. I don't know what else to say. I, I just, I love it. You know? Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it, man. This is just sort of what, um, contrarians do. Uh, right. and, and we see it happen every once in a while. And, and thankfully the, the Lord is providing in some great ways. Uh, we're having some, some great conversations with strategic partners and the Lord really is providing for us. He always has That's awesome. uh, the last three or so years. There's been you know, definitely seasons of sleeping in your office in your winter coat. Uh, not, you know, I, I've lived basically on $50 a week for the last three or so years, and I'm actually going to continue that. Um, and this is, and, and, and this is just sort of coming down from that, you know, grandiose vision. We all need to, to stay connected with reality in a way that I, I'm, I see, I, I grew up with, you know, two siblings. I made it a point to not, you know, to start learning from the mistakes or experiences of my siblings. I'm sure they've learned from my mistakes. Uh, but then I said, well, you know, why would I stop at my siblings? I'm going to start learning from the mistakes of my parents. And so I started keeping a journal of, you know, how, you know, how I felt since I was 11. I started keeping, you know, how I felt, how I wanted to be treated, what responsibilities I wanted, what I felt I was ready for so that I could go back in as, as an you know, adult and maybe possibly, you know, if ever I have my own kids to, to regain that perspective. So perspective is, is extremely critical when you want to continue disrupting. And what often happens is that with either commercial busyness, so in our minds, if my commercial busyness would be, you know, it's taking me off the shop floor 
um, off where I'm literally building aircraft, um, off of my, you know, design platforms where I'm, I'm designing new aircraft. We've got literally hundreds of, of designs that I've been working on the last couple of, of years or one or two might see the light of day. Um, but, but commercial busyness might disassociate me with what it means to do real work in the same way that making money your idol or making money your purpose or your God will disassociate you with real work. So what I've seen happen, the same, the lessons basically that I've learned from um, being, understanding the systems uh, and being somewhat critical of, of how you know, other startups have been successful, how their founders have become wealthy, I actually don't want any of that. Uh, it's, it's actually counterproductive to my ambition in life to be distracted or to have the plausibility or potential for capital or money to be an idol. It's always been a tool that I've prayed that other people put in my hand that then I can go wield against the complacency of the world. And that's, that's, it's, it's, um, yeah. So I'm going to continue probably getting paid $50. <laughs> I'm, pr- I'm this is what I'm going to do that. If you continue that, I'm going to, uh, once Corona settles down, I am going to take you out to dinner because here's the thing. Oh boy. It, here's the thing. It, it's because I, I, I love your perspective. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine that a lot of people didn't know that Otterbox, the, the cell phone case, Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're still doing it right now, but what the CEO did uh, during this pandemic, uh, he literally only took a dollar a year as a salary, mm-hmm. and he's he did uh, he put a, so many other implementations in his, in his company to make sure that no one got fired and everybody stay, stayed um, uh, employed and nobody needed to worry about. And so you definitely remind me of someone that is about. Uh, about making sure that people are okay. Yeah, and we can I, do we can do a sequel uh, where we talk about. So our guiding principle internally at Wincraft right. is um, as self giving. Is this is going to sound crazy, but we we expect we're working on the product. Your responsibility is the work product. So that sums up how we work every day. But for the leadership or the founding team, they are expected to have self giving love or sacrificial love for everybody else in the company where I'm willing to sacrifice. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Go look up the, the, the I think it was the president of Uruguay at mm-hmm. some point. Uh, he lives like a pauper, but is so content. Uh, and, and it's like this fairy tale story that a lot of people like, oh, that's great. But, you know, I want my yacht. I want my, you know, but, but at the end of the day, they're going to continue being discontent, but they're going to be discontent on a yacht, oh, yeah. which doesn't do them much good. It's so, so it's so true. I, I've look, the, and I, 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 I say this all the time, and my, my wife would definitely back me up, is that I, when it comes to business, the one thing that I don't like about business is money. And when mm-hmm. I talk to each and every client, the first thing I say today, we're not going to bring money into any of this. Because mm-hmm. if I bring money into any of this, it's going to limit you. It's going to limit your vision. It's going to limit where you want to go. And it's going to mm-hmm. stutter the growth of your company. So let's talk about vision. Let's talk about where you want to go and let's create a path to make it happen. And especially during this, uh, the COVID uh, pandemic, we, we've literally, like I've said to our company, I said, how can we make things happen and stop businesses from closing? Mm-hmm. What are the solutions that we can give? Uh, and yeah. we obviously look as a marketing company, we've looked at 
uh, solutions to create exposures. You know, one we did the we've done the podcast, uh, and we've done so many other things for other businesses. Because the 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 end of the day is you're right. It, it I think if you start think itemizing wealth, it's mm-hmm. never enough. Mm-hmm. But if you create value on the people that are around you, there's such a fullness that you get in life that you never feel like you need anything else. And that's that's truly a whole different concept that I I, I totally agree with you and I and I and I bow to you for saying that because I, I follow you every second with that. So uh-huh. awesome, awesome. So if people want to find out more about um your business and about you, where do they go? Yeah, so our, our website is pretty bare bones, uh, and that's on purpose. Uh, if they want to find out more about Wincraft, uh, we have an angel list uh, that is is more up to speed uh, with where we're at, what we're doing. Um, let's see, we actually have a so part of that that you're know, talking about capital. I, I agree with you. Uh, you know, idolizing wealth or idolizing money, it becomes an ulterior motive too fast. And it's almost definitely it's a it's a it's it's a, it's always going to become an ulterior motive. Uh, so keeping capital out of the situation is is important. So we we were having lots of conversation with uh, folks that you know, frankly, I'm quite full of themselves billionaires, and we got we got tired of, of we actually rejected a lot more capital than we've accepted, um, and we got we said you know if we want to open up as much as Wincraft the product is for the people. Uh, we don't think it's fair. We had some some unaccredited investors that were contacts of ours that said, hey, I want to jump in. And we said, you have to be accredited. You know, it's, it's that whole investment process. So we opened up a reg CF on microventures um, to allow unaccredited investors to participate. So if someone wants to, you know, just take it as a, a piece of information to understand more about the company, we actually do have a uh, reg CF round live on microventures um, that if, if they thought it was a good idea. They could even potentially participate. We wanted to bring the, the other uh, normal individuals on this financial journey with us uh, and kind of distribute the the success. So, I mean, and I, I say this with as much humility as possible saying this, but the success that is really looming for us, we're excited. Our, our team is working and we're excited every day. Like I said, we just got some military contracts today. Um, and uh, that's a huge step in the right direction for us. And uh, yeah, so they can microventures, Angelist, our website, and uh, that's where they can find more info. Awesome, awesome, Alexander. Thank you so much for your time today. This has th- truly been something inspiring, and I'm excited to see where you're gonna go. And I'm truly excited to keep following you, and hopefully, let's keep in touch because I want to make sure that people keep keep following you and they keep seeing uh, where this is going because. Uh, uh, my backyard is ready. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> hey, we'll be in your backyard soon enough. So thanks, Diago. Awesome. Really appreciate it. Have a great one. All right. God bless.